All right, well, if you could begin making your way back to your seats, and as you do, grab your Bibles and head on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 7 here this morning, and we're just in the midst of walking ourselves through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so um, if you need a Bible, you don't have a digital version with you, in front of you somewhere should be a hardback copy of the scriptures. And uh, it would be good for you to be in 1 Corinthians 12 to just be able to track along with what it is that we're going to look at this morning. Um, But it was about three weeks ago that we began looking at and thinking about spiritual gifts. And that's where the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 goes to. And Paul, who is the one that wrote the book, is answering questions that either he had received in writing from this church or perhaps had heard that they had along the way. And so he begins to address the issue of spiritual gifts and does so in verses 1 to 3 by first addressing what spiritual people look like and who are people of the Spirit. And we've been thinking through those things over the last few weeks together and what it is that we've been trying to do and today will be our last foundation stone if you will is over the last three weeks this week being the fourth we've been trying to lay down some foundation stones for how it is that we are to understand spiritual gifts if you've been in and around a church really for any length of time or any denomination it will probably come as no surprise to you that there is a wide view amongst and in believers as to what spiritual gifts are, what they are not, whether they are all for today, whether whether some of them are for today, what do we do, how do we define them. There's just a lot of confusion that exists regarding spiritual gifts in the church today and what it is that we began to do three weeks ago is lay down some foundation stones for how we can understand what spiritual gifts are. In verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul is going to begin identifying the gifts. We will look at those and define them next week but we've been trying as I've said to build some foundation for how we can go from there. So here's the big idea over the last several weeks that we have been working through. The first is that spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. They are two completely different categories of activity that God has done. We didn't look in particular at Hebrews 2.4, and we're not going to look at that this morning, but that verse says that God bore witness to the gospel through signs and wonders and various miracles and spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit. And that verse gives us a clue that there was, a, there was three categories of witness that the Lord used. They are related to each other, but they are distinct from one another. They're a bit like biological children. My three biological children are related to each other. They have similarities to each other. And that's because they have and came from the same source. But they are distinct. Signs and wonders are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. 
And I have contended and will continue to do so that spiritual gifts and the whole list of them are for today, but signs and wonders have ceased. Week two, we looked at what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why have they been given? What have they been given for? What's God doing in and through them? And the big idea is that they've been given for making disciples. The word that Paul would have used in 1 Corinthians, really throughout the book, is the idea in the word building. And he traces through that you and I, as believers, have been called to build up the body. And then in chapter 12, we are told that we've now been gifted to build up the body. And what God calls us to, he gifts us for. And so you've been given a gift, at least one, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that gift has been given to you for somebody else. You're not the point of your gift. If your gift gets used on you, it's probably not a gift because it's not been for the common good. And you've totally missed the point. The gifts you've been given are to be used for the building up of others, the body of Christ, because that's what we've been called to do. Last week, we asked ourselves this question, who do I follow? Who do I follow? It's not not enough to just simply ask whether or not someone's a good public speaker, or they have charisma, Or they claim to have performed miracles. Or perhaps have even performed miracles. It's not enough for that to be what we use as our test. we got to ask different questions. And the question, who do we follow, is the one that we looked at last week. And Paul gives us a clue in verse 3 regarding who we follow. But there are other scriptures that help us give a more full test, if you will. I want to show you a passage that was not one we looked at last week, but it does bear into this question, and it's an important cornerstone, foundation for us. Here, Paul's writing his second letter, as we call it, to the Corinthian church, and he's taking issue with some of the people that have opposed him in the city of Corinth. And he says this, what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. What is he saying? He's saying that there are people who claim to be gospel preachers or gospel witnesses But they're false, and he goes there in the very next sentence. Such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. See, it's not enough for us to just ask the question, did that person claim or did they do something miraculous or do they have charisma or are they just a good public speaker? Do they tell me what I want to hear and what sounds good when I'm in their presence? It's not enough for that to be what we use as our test. Because these people have been identified as servants of righteousness, but they're following Satan. Jesus said in Matthew 7, and we did look at this text last week, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? 
Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not work mighty miracles in your name? We'll get into the kingdom. Because they did not do the will of my Father in heaven. And Jesus said, I will say to those people, depart from me. See, it's not enough, even if somebody actually does it. It's not enough for us to just say, that's why we follow. There's got to be other questions, and the questions all are going to always go back to faithfulness to God's word and the gospel and what God has said. So last week we tried to answer the question, who do I follow? Is it just people that are good preachers? Is it just people that are good writers? Is it just people that have influence culturally right now? Is it just people that have charisma? Is it just people that, now there's something far greater. And there are several passages in the New Testament that tell us that Satan will masquerade as an angel of light. His servants will be servants of righteousness. They will do miraculous things, but they will hear from Jesus, depart from me. We got to be careful. Well, today we're going to try to lay down this last foundation stone regarding the variety that exists in and with spiritual gifts. And here's where we're going this morning. If you're a note taker, this will be your outline, points one, two, and three. And it is this, that there is sovereignty over the variety of gifts. There is unity within the variety of gifts. And there is purpose amid the variety of gifts gifts, and we will see in verses 4 through 7, those three big ideas come to light. In some ways, it's not much much different than what we've been saying over the last three, four weeks together, but it is just a way to kind of pause, summarize, maybe gather and collect our thoughts before next week we actually get in and start defining these gifts and figure out what are actually the gifts that are outlined. So before we go any further, let's pray, and then we'll hop into the text and go from there. Well, God, I pray that you would help us understand what it is that you've said in your word, that you'd help us make sense of it, that we would, that we would see it, that we would understand it, we would, we would know how, how it is to be applied in our lives. And so, God, we, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our midst here in these moments, that his, his work of illumination, of making the scriptures make sense, would be one that we would experience here today. God, if there are, are, are light bulbs that need to get turned on in our minds as it relates to gifts and what it is that you've done, would you turn them on? God, would you give us understanding? Would you correct perhaps error that there may be? Would you guard my words from error? That what I would say would be faithful to what it is that you have said and that it would be understandable. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, let's go to the text here together and read verses 4 to 7, and then we'll just pop around and unpack these three big ideas. Paul writes, beginning in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It doesn't take a Bible degree to notice that verses 4, 5, and 6 are almost identical. If you just lined them up, one right after the other, you'd see that those verses have a ton of what is called parallelism. It means the same words are used and the same big idea is existing in those three verses. And so we have the word varieties used three different times. And we have the word same used three different times. And Paul goes as far as outlining each member of the Trinity in each part of each verse. And the first big idea for us to unpack here this morning as it relates to spiritual gifts is that there is sovereignty over the variety. Perhaps we should say varieties. It's plural as he wrote it. But it's sovereignty over the variety. And what Paul is doing in emphasizing the Father, or it was the Spirit, the Lord, and the Father in order, four, five, six there, is he is not trying to say that it's just the Spirit that gives gifts, and it's just the Lord that does service, and it's just the Father that does activity. He's saying that there is a unity amongst the Trinity as it relates to the gifts. And there is sovereignty that exists over that. Let's quickly define the word sovereignty with and for one another. It just means that God's in charge. And what he wants to do is what's going to happen. And that you and I, as not God, we, we submit. We get to say, your will, your way. Instead of my will, my way. Because God's in charge. That's what the word sovereignty means. And the idea here regarding the gifts is that there's sovereignty over the gifts. Let's try to unpack this a little further. We'll zoom out just a tad. But throughout chapter 12, and if we allow ourselves to just kind of step briefly into Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, you're going to see in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 12, God empowers You're going to see in verse 7 that there's a manifestation of the Spirit given. Verse 11, the Spirit importions and empowers. Verse 18, God arranged the members of the body as He chose. Verse 25, God so composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed. Ephesians 4, Jesus has given. Romans 12, gifts differ according to the grace given. All of those words, empowered, given, empowered, apportioned, arranged, composed, appointed, given, given, all tell us that God's in charge. These are verbs that are being used to describe the action of God doing things in the body of Christ. There is sovereignty over the variety as it relates to spiritual gifts. There's sovereignty over the variety. And amongst that, there's a unity with which the Trinity works. The repetition of the word variety and the word same exists to place the emphasis on God's action and not us. The word varieties, it just simply means division. It means distribution. It means apportionment. If you look down at verse 11, that word shows up again as apportioned. 
That's the verb form in 4, 5, and 6. It's a noun. Perhaps you've got an NIV translation and it just says different kinds. That's actually probably a more helpful translation, quite frankly. There's different kinds of gifts, but it's the same spirit. There's different kinds of gifts, but it's the same, or serving, but it's the same Lord. There's different kinds of workings or activities, but it's the same God who empowers them. Different things are given, and they all relate, and there's a unity within that. And that takes us to our second big idea, that there is a unity that exists within the variety. And there we see the word same helping us clue into that. The word same just simply means same. There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Let's just think back to what we've learned along the way about the church in Corinth. And some of the things that Paul had to take issue with them right at the very beginning of the letter, all the way through. This church was very, very good at dividing themselves. They were very, very good at placing a man-centered understanding on the church and themselves to where the people that they elevated and exalted were the people that were wise in the world's eyes or powerful in the world's eyes or had a good family name. And it was in the tail end of chapter 1 that Paul says, look, God didn't choose you Because you were wise in the world's eyes. He didn't choose you because you had power by the world's definition of power. He didn't choose you because you had a good family name. He he chose you because he wanted to, in your weakness, shame the ones that think they're wise. And in your lack of strength, shame the ones who think that it is their strength that matters. This church has been a great, great And done a great, great job at dividing themselves based on the world's standards. And yet now here he is saying, God's given all of you something. One commentator said this, it's not the wealthy among them that give to the poor among them. Each member of the church has received something directly from God. We might say it this way, social hierarchy within society does not translate to spiritual hierarchy within the church. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It does not matter what your family legacy or history is, however great it is or perhaps however not great it is. It does not matter because it is the same triune God that gifts. There is unity within the variety. Let's pull out a little bit again and just consider the other three main passages where spiritual gifts get discussed. We are just going to see this idea of unity and variety show up again. There's one body, unity. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, variety. So we, though many, are one body, and individually members of one another, unity, having gifts that differ, variety, 
to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he begins there to then list the gifts. Here in Romans 12, in that section where Paul walks through spiritual gifts, unity and variety is on display. In Ephesians 4, unity and variety is again on display. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Do you know what the word one there serves to highlight for us? Unity. And in verses 7 through 12 of Ephesians 4, Paul begins to unpack then some of the variety. God's given to the church a variety of gifts to equip the saints for works of ministry building up of the body. Peter would say this in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's the word variety. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There is unity that exists within the variety. And here in verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul highlights that and he hits three different aspects of gifts that are going to be important for us to see and unpack, to understand. And it is in his use of the word gifts and service and activities that we begin to clue in to how this unity and variety works. So the word gifts there in verse 4. Now there's a variety of gifts. That word gifts there is the word charismatin. It's actually where we get the English word then charismatic from. You can hear the similarities. So if you ever heard of a charismatic church or been to a charismatic church, that's where this word comes from. And it's just the word that means grace gifts. Literally translated, it means gifts of grace. They were freely given. They are undeserved. They're like anything else of God's grace in our lives. We deserve the opposite, but he's chosen to be gracious to us to give us what we don't deserve. And here, we're thinking specifically about gifts of grace. There's varieties of gifts. Not everyone's gifted in the same way. But there's no hierarchy or extra measure of the Spirit that some gifts have or do not have. And this is crucial for us to unpack and understand. We must resist defining some gifts as supernatural because they have, and I used the term last week, flair. Because they have more flair than other gifts. See, we shouldn't say that some gifts are supernatural because they've got flair. And other gifts are natural gifts because they perhaps don't have flair. I think this was in part of the error that Paul writes to the Corinthian church to try and correct them of. That they had elevated the gift of tongues and perhaps those who had the gift of tongues to a level that placed them at a, at a, at a different level in a, in a hierarchy that said, well, those people are extra spirit-filled because they do this. And let's just be honest. I mean, if somebody's speaking in the gifts of tongues, which is the speaking of a known language unknown to the speaker, that's got some flair. 
But that gift is no more supernatural than the gift of leadership or administration. There's a variety of gifts, but it's the same spirit. So as we think through the gifts, and in particular the list that begins in verse 8, but we can also include Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 as well, we have to resist categorizing some gifts as supernatural and other gifts as perhaps less supernatural or just natural. Because all gifts are from the same Spirit. There's a variety of gifts. Not everybody's going to have the same gift But they're all from the same spirit. So generosity and leadership show up in Romans 12. If you have those gifts, those gifts are as supernaturally empowered as the working of miracles or healings. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. It is the same spirit. Different gifts. There's not a hierarchy that exists in regards to the gift. And here's an important big idea that we're going to unpack even further two weeks from now as we consider the baptism of the Spirit in verse 12 and 13 and the idea that what the Scriptures talk about, the filling of the Spirit. Different gifts do not have more of the Spirit. It's the same Spirit. You see that in verse 4? The baptism of the Spirit's a real thing. The filling of the Spirit's a real thing. They're not the same thing, however. There's a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. One commentator said this, All of life in the church is charismatic and has its source, God's Spirit. And in this regard, all gifts and or people claiming to have those gifts should be evaluated by the same criteria that Paul begins to unpack in verse 3 that we went a little further through the New Testament unpacking last week. See, in verse 3 when he says, nobody in the Spirit says Jesus is accursed and nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit gives us a way to unpack and understand all the gifts, not just gifts that have a speaking function, but also gifts that have a serving function because all the gifts should be worked out and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the exaltation of Him because it's the same Spirit. And there's a unity Within the variety. In verse 5, we see this pattern reemerge. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. The word service could be translated ministry. It's where we get our word deacon from. It's just kind of a, a, a hands-on ministry position is, is probably a great way to define that. And it, it just means functioning in the interest of a group of people. So here's what we mean by that. And here's what I think Paul's saying by that. There's different places the gifts are used. There's different gifts, but regardless of the distinction between your gift, it's the same Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. But then there's different places those gifts are used. So um, perhaps you know somebody that's gifted with teaching or with knowledge. And next week I'm going to define the word of knowledge, that gift, word of knowledge, is just the ability to understand the scriptures. 
It's not the ability to come up with unknown things instantly to kind of shock somebody into going, holy smokes, how'd you read my mail? That's not the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is the ability to understand the scriptures. But if you got the gift of knowledge, perhaps the gift of teaching, there's different places those gifts are going to be used. You could teach at a seminary or Bible college. You may be a book writer. You could be a preacher. You could teach a four-year-old Sunday school class. But it's the same gift. But there's different places that gift's going to be used. The varieties of service, there's a variety of ministry or places for ministry. But it's the same lore. There's unity within the variety. One of the places that our kids' ministry team has a whole is ages four, five, and six. We were meeting on Wednesday, and we were looking at the, the master schedule of classes and teachers, and, and, and I kind of threw my hat into the ring that said, you know, I'd be, I'd be willing to do a Sunday school um, once a month if needed, and was not thinking ages four, five, and six at that moment. I was thinking maybe like grades one to three, maybe a little older, and we're like, well, four, five, and six, that's where we've got the need, and, and I, I, I don't yet think my name is like fully on the list. It might be like a very lightly penciled in place. Um, so anyways, last night, we're doing family devotions. And we are reading through this devotional book that we have written by Louis Giglio. It's called Indescribable. It's phenomenal, by the way. So go on Amazon and get it. You will, if you've got kids, they're going to benefit tremendously from it. Um, and, and there was a question that came up, and I, and I asked the kids the question. And I couldn't even tell you right now what the question was. But the boys started to try and give answers to the question. And they, it was pretty obvious, didn't understand the question. And then Carrie asks the question differently, and they were like, oh, yeah. And I looked at her and I go, ages four, five, and six is not where I need to be serving. That is not where I need to be plugged in. There's different places that different gifts are used. And it doesn't make one gift or one place better than the other. There's unity within the variety, and there's sovereignty over the variety. So if you're, if you're the teacher of a, of a kid's class, you are no less gifted or empowered by God to do that than I am to do this. Don't cheapen your work because you feel like it's just kids. It's a variety of places gifts are used. It's the same Lord they're being used for. And the variety, the third variety in verse 6, there's a variety of workings. That word workings is probably best described or defined as effects or results The same gift may yield different results, but it's the same God empowering them. And the repetition or the use of the word empowering there in verse 6 tells us that it's not just God passively empowering. It's God actually in his sovereignty actively empowering the results that particular gift in that particular area of service has. 
God empowers the same gift to yield different results. And when it happens, it's no fault of the gifted one's service. It's God and his sovereignty determining and empowering the results as he wills. So I've used myself as an example a couple times. Let's just go back to that. So if I have the gift of teaching and I compare myself in a results aspect to Billy Graham, I might find myself a little despondent because this man teaches God's word and thousands have surrendered their lives to the gospel. This man will fill or filled and packed out arenas. And to do so would error in thinking that God has more empowered him and less empowered me. It's the same gift, perhaps a different place the gift is used, and the results of that gift as it works itself out the effects of that gift is yielded to the sovereignty of God just as the giving of the gift is and the place the gift is used. It is wrong for us to say that every believer should use every gift or have every gift. It is wrong for us to pick one gift and say every believer needs to have that gift. Wouldn't it be great if every believer had knowledge Wouldn't it be great if every believer did the working of miracles? Wouldn't it be great if every believer had the gifts of healings? Wouldn't it be great if every believer... Fill in the blank with whatever gift you want. It would be wrong for us to conclude that because it ignores the variety that God himself has given in the body for the gifts. God has given his body varied gifts for the building of that body and so not everyone should be the same. Not everyone's going to look the same, and not everyone's going to have the same gift, and not everyone's going to have the same place that gift is going to be used, and not every result of those gifts is going to be the same, because God has built in and determined variety. And thirdly, there's purpose amid the variety. There is purpose amid the variety. Go to verse 7. We've thought through this verse already, but we'll do so again. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. That word given, it's a verb. It's a passive verb. We refer to that as a divine passive. And what it means is that you've not done anything. God's done something. And he's done something to you, whether you like it or not. He didn't ask for your permission. He's done something, and he's given. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. You don't work for your gifts. You don't unlock your gifts. You don't release your gifts or release the Spirit in your gifts. God's doing that. You are given gifts. And it's a manifestation of the Spirit, meaning that God is making something unknown known. And it's for the common good. 
you are not the end goal of your gift. Somebody else is. The body is. And the body needs each of these gifts. Because each of them is for the common good. been trying to lay some foundation stones over the last several weeks as we next week begin unpacking and defining gifts. The first was that spiritual gifts are not signs and wonders. They have a similar source. Well, actually the source is identical. It's God. There may be similarities between them, but they're not the same. Signs and wonders ceased with the death of the last apostle. Spiritual gifts have continued today. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of the body. They're for equipping the body. That word equipping, it, it, it has its definition of setting a bone straight. Or a related word gets used to define the mending of, of fishing nets. It's the idea of putting into order what is not ordered so that it can be functional and healthy. So spiritual gifts are given for the common good. They're given for equipping. They're they're given to the body of Christ so that you and I can grow in maturity as disciples of Christ and be healthy, be functional, be disciple makers in the lives of others. Who we follow matters. And it's not just enough to say, is that person a good speaker? Does that person have charisma? Has that person had miraculous or powerful things worked in their midst? It's not just enough to say that. There's a whole other set of questions that has to be asked. And those questions are all repeatedly going to drive us back to God's word and what God has said. And our last foundation stone was that there is unity within variety there's sovereignty over the variety there's unity within the variety that God has given and there's purpose amid the variety but let's be honest this idea of existing in oneness despite distinction is something that the church has never done well, in part because it's the design of God, and one of the things that you can see from the very beginning of Genesis is that the attack will come against the design. So if the design of marriage is one man, one woman, and a covenant relationship till death, that's where the attack's going to come. If the design is unity within variety, and we could, we could apply that ethnically, we could apply that socially, we could apply that politically, we could apply that culturally. If there's a unity to be a part of God's body, despite anything that distinguishes us externally, you can guarantee that that will be where the attack comes. And the same is just as true for spiritual gifts. There's to be a unity understood and practiced with the gifts and in the gifts, through the gifts that God has given, you can better believe that'll be a place of attack. 
because it's the design. And Satan wants more than anything to thwart the design that God has made. So next week we begin defining what the gifts are. We begin continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and thinking about it. But there is sovereignty over the variety. There is unity within the variety and there is purpose amid the variety. Let's pray. God, we're not going to think that way or live that way by default. In fact, our default is going to be falling along the familiar, perhaps party lines, we could say. Throughout the course of history, men and women have done a really, really good job of finding ways to separate where there's been distinction. God, we ask that you might help us to be different. That we might be a a, a local church that that celebrates the diversity of of gifts and gifted persons. That we would be a, a local church that acknowledges your sovereignty over all of it and the purpose you want to work in and through it. God, help us to be a church that surrenders itself individually and collectively to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as they close?